Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters. What does living a repentant life look like? Because that's what we're talking about today. But let us understand what repentance is because there's a lot of misunderstanding about repentance. Repentance in the Bible involves a complete and irreversible change of mind. You're not going back on what you now set your mind on. It involves a complete change of heart, your mind, and actions. Repentance recognizes that our sin is offensive to God. To repent means to make an about face a heart directed turn away from self to God, from the past to a future ruled by God's commands. Acknowledging that the Lord reigns supreme over one's existence. That's what true Bible repentance is all about. It's all about regretting that wicked, rebellious, sinful life. And then making a 180 degree turn back to God, understanding 
and agreeing with him that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God and from the Son to be thrown in that lake of fire. The Erdman's Bible Dictionary includes this definition of repentance in its fullest sense. It is a term for a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. Yes. Amen. I agree. Because, beloved, in the Old Testament, repentance, or if you want to say a wholehearted turning to God, it is a recurring theme in the message of the prophets. Repentance was demonstrated through rituals such as fasting, wearing sackcloth, sitting in ashes, wailing, crying out in lamentations that expressed strong sorrow for sin. Amen. We see this highlighted through Ezekiel, David, uh, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. These rituals were supposed to be accompanied by authentic repentance, which involved a commitment to a renewed relationship with God, a walk of obedience to his word, and right living, holy living. Often, however, these rituals merely represented remorse and a desire to escape the consequences of sin. Because you see, beloved, that's worldly sorrow. Worldly repentance is that you are upset because you got caught. And now you have to suffer the consequences of your actions. But once, thank you, Holy Spirit, but once everything dies down, once everything gets back on track, if you will, all of that sorrow, all of that remorse, it goes away. And you continue after a while, right, getting back to business as usual, until the next scandal or until the next thing that makes you temporarily regret what you did. 
But as the pattern continues, and we see this being played out with the children of Israel, they will sin. They get the reprimand from God. Then they cry out to God in, come to find out, godly sorrow. God will relent, have mercy on the people. And then when everything is back to normal, after a while, they went right back to their idolatry. They went back to creating alliances with nations who who knew not God. And yet, because of their easy, if you will, way of living without holy God's commandments, they slip right back off into unfaithfulness. And likewise, we be doing it too, but to the glory of God, once we understood that God ain't playing with that lake of fire. You can't keep saying, oh, I repent, I repent, I repent. And then you're right back in your vomit. That's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow doesn't cause a person to turn away from sin once and for all you are done with it you have set your mind i'm not doing that anymore because that offends god and then we have true repentance true repentance does cause a person to examine their lives in relation to God's holy word. And we see, hmm, there is a stark contrast. I'm not living right. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be thrown in that lake of fire. So, a changing of the mindset must be made. Because, beloved, Repentance is a gift from God. It is this supernatural ability and grace to not even want to sin anymore. It's like once you receive the knowledge of the truth about Jesus Christ and about how through his atoning sacrifice, it holds back the wrath of God that was rightly headed to us. It makes you start to think. It makes you start to say, huh, you know what? Sin is not the big time fun like I thought it was. Rituals. Rituals that were supposed to be accompanied by authentic repentance, which involved a commitment to a renewed relationship with God, a walk of obedience 
to his word. And not only that, right living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when you just cry out to God, I'm so sorry because you done cheated on your spouse. You got caught. Everybody is up in arms. The spouse is going through a lot because of your infidelity. So now trust has been broken. They ain't feeling you right now like they did a week ago when when they thought you was a faithful spouse and come to find out you were a cheating fill in the blank broke their little hearts family is on the brink of destruction why because you was only thinking about yourself beloved my hand is raised i know all about this honey I didn't mean to say, honey, <laughs> that's a battle with me. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, my brothers and sisters, I know all about this. I was on both sides of adultery. But then there must be a turning of the mind that this is not how I want to live. I don't want to cause people this amount of pain because of my selfish, lustful activities? No. But some people make a show of repentance by buying flowers, saying I love you a million times throughout the day. And then when you do gain the trust of your devastated partner and you thinking well everything is good to go so rather than honoring your commitment that this will never happen again six months later here you go right back to being unfaithful well, all of that crying and pleading and the flowers and the buying of gifts, well, that was worldly sorrow. You were only sorrowful because you got caught. And in the moment, yeah, I'm I'm sorry about this. I yeah, I'm realizing that hmm, I made the wrong move. And instead of going forward of committing adultery no more, once the damage has been brought under control, things go right back to, to being loving. He or she is loving on you. They have put all that hurt and pain in the hands of God and going forward they strive to live in forgiveness but oh no no here comes another scandal another devastating mistrust so where's repentance in that 
Because true repentance say, I'm going to make a 180 degree turn. I'm not looking at another man. I'm not looking at another woman. I am devoted to my covenant partner. And whatever goes on between us, I'm sticking with them as God leads us. Okay. Because when the, the prophets of old, when they beckoned the people to repent and return, they were calling for a complete turnaround inspired from within the heart, from within the heart and will of the individual. The prophets called both the nation of Israel and individual people to surrender their lives, to turn away from a life ruled by sin to a relationship with holy God, the sovereign ruler over all. Who is this? Joel. Joel says in Joel 2, verses 12 to 13, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Amen. Glory be to God. So, beloved, we do not serve a God that is a maniac bent on harming us. The situation unfolds itself that if we do not respect who he is, Joel just told us so much information here. It is a blessing to behold. He's telling the people, yes, repentance and when you when you demonstrate that through weeping and tearing of your clothes and putting on sackcloths and throwing ashes on you as a show of repentance the lord is saying tear your heart tear that heart up what it says here, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious. Yes, he is. And compassionate. Yes. Slow to anger. Oh, beloved, the Lord is patient with us. Long-suffering. 
What else it says? Abounding in faithful love. And guess what? He relents from sending disaster when we repent and turn back to God. Amen. Beloved, where do you think that the the basis for the name of this podcast derived from? This. This restored devoted relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit inspired me to proclaim, repent, and turn back to God. That's scriptural. We are we are to be remorseful to such a degree that we turn from sin completely and turn our devotion, our attention, and our surrendered lives to God. So that going forward, because of his compassion, because of his grace, because of his long suffering and his faithful love, we can walk in obedience. Beloved, yes, Holy Spirit, I will ask them, what would you rather have? Would you rather have God's wrath headed your way? Or would you prefer to have his compassionate, gracious forgiveness? That should be a no a no-brainer. Beloved, the theme of repentance, it continues in the New Testament, beginning with John the Baptist. We see over here in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist declared repentance. He says, he said, repent, change your inner self your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life. For the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh thank you Lord Jesus Christ John the Baptist was preparing the nation of Israel and all those in hearing to get their hearts ready because guess what's coming? God in the person of Jesus Christ, the prophesied Messiah is at hand. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist was the forerunner for the Messiah. And what did the Messiah preach when he came into his earthly ministry? It's the same message. Where it says here, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, 
Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. So the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, who were cousins, were on the same page. The prophesied Messiah was announcing to the world, I'm here. I'm now in your midst. God is tabernacling with his creation in the body, in the flesh of a man. He was telling the world, I'm here, so now repent. Repent. That is I got for you here. Because both, okay, both the Lord Jesus and John the Baptist urgently called people to repent because the arrival of the kingdom of God was at hand. Many chose this radical reorientation of their lives and demonstrated repentance through baptism. Amen. What is this? Mark 1. Verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, beloved, listen and hear the Holy Spirit. Without repentance, there will be no forgiveness of sins. Amen. And how could there be forgiveness of sins if you don't recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? If there is no turning over the mindset that if I don't stop sinning, I'm going straight to a burning hell. And in faith, we come to Christ Jesus, full of repentance, full of godly sorrow and regret about the way how we were living in filth. Then we come to him to be cleansed through his shed blood and receive forgiveness because we know In order to be justified from sin, it is only because of God's grace. There's nothing we could do to be justified. We come humbly, humbly through repentance to receive the wonderful gift of grace, salvation. So, For the devil to teach that repentance is working to be justified. No, it's not. It it is not a work. 
that you do to be saved, but that that mind got to be renewed. It must have a turning over in it, if you will, in order to receive the actual free gift of salvation that we could not have earned. But if there is no repentance, look at what John over here is doing. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for what? For what, beloved? So that we can go to the uh, grocery store so that we can go on holiday. Why was John the Baptist preaching on repentance? For the forgiveness of your sins without someone preaching, thank you, Holy Spirit, without a preacher, someone making proclamations about repentance, how can we even know about sins can be forgiven if there's no preaching on repentance. Look at the pattern about repentance and forgiveness of sins. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that is requiring, see, See how in order to receive forgiveness of your sins, there is a requirement not to be saved, but there must be a requiring of a change of one's old way of thinking. You got to change the way you think in order to be able to Receive the gospel that is being preached about salvation. The good news, God has made a way for sinners to be made right with him when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believing that his shed blood will cleanse you of your past sins. And going forward, we sin no more. But if there is no repentance which is required, how can there be any forgiveness of sins if you don't even think you are a sinner? I want to go to heaven though, but I don't need Jesus. Yes, yeah, yes, we do. Let's not get this twisted. Listen, a baptism, right? Because we, we are still over here in Mark 1, 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is requiring a change of one's old way of thinking turning away from sin and seeking God and his righteousness. Beloved, the Bible just told us exactly what repentance is 
and how it is required for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, Christ Jesus, when he yeah, when he was given the great commission, look at what he told his disciples to preach in his name. Let's come over here to Luke chapter 24. Okay. Let us start in verse 44. Listen. Then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything which has been written about me. Now, now, beloved, keep in mind, this is after the resurrection. Okay, because prior to this verse, Jesus had appeared to them. Who was this? Thomas. Was it Thomas? Anywho, yeah, Thomas didn't believe that this was actually Jesus, right? And and Jesus was telling him, can't you see the marks? In verse 39, look at the marks in my hands and my feet and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still did not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in front of them. Verse 44, then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Right? Remember? Everything which has been written about me in the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to help them understand the scriptures. And he said, verse 46, And so it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Verse 47, listen, and that repentance necessary for forgiveness of sins. See, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling us about the requirements for, no, the requirement for salvation. One must repent. Now, listen, and that repentance necessary for forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things listen carefully I am sending the promise capital P of my father 
the Holy Spirit upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, fully understanding that he lives and that he is the son of God. And they were continually in the temple blessing and praising God. Hallelujah. Oh, beloved, repentance is the best thing going. So listen, okay. I was saying that how many chose this radical reorientation of their lives, right? And demonstrated repentance through baptism and profound changes in lifestyle and relationships. Because, beloved, when, when true repentance is showing up in your life, there will be a change of lifestyles. Listen, we see over here in Luke 3, 18 to 14, okay? John the Baptist once again, was giving the Pharisees the big business, okay? Because up until that point, the, the teaching on repentance was never taught. These Jews assumed that because they were descendants of Abraham, that they automatically have entrance into the kingdom. And so they were coming over to see what was John doing. And so John had looked up and was like, now I'm paraphrasing, what, what you want? Why, why come over here trying to escape God's wrath? Because he was, he was uh, uh, baptizing and preaching on repentance so that people can, can get saved. To, to have their sins forgiven. And so when the Pharisees showed up, he was like, I know y'all didn't come over here and, and trying to get saved. And so we have Luke 3 verse 8, because he was telling them to produce fruit that is worthy of and consistent with your repentance. That is live, change lives. Turn from sin and seek God and his righteousness and do not even begin to say, who is this? John John was like, don't even fix your face. Now, after he just gave them a quick teaching on repentance, okay, and not only to repent, but live a life that produces fruit of this said repentance. 
It must be a clear demarcation line drawn in your life. Because he was saying, and do not even begin to say to yourselves as a defense, because right, these Pharisees, Sadducees, rulers, elders, and scribes, oh, they thought they were were righteous because they were what teachers of the law and not to mention descendants of um Abraham so John was getting their business straight with them on this day he says and do not even begin to say to yourselves as a defense we have Abraham for our father and so our heritage assures us of salvation oh boy oh boy and John was like first of all he wasn't hearing none of that he was like for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children descendants for Abraham For God can replace the unrepentant regardless, okay, of their heritage with those who are obedient. Amen. Even now. So listen, verse 9, okay. Even now the acts of, of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. So the crowds asked him, then what are we to do? And John replied, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do the same. Verse 12, even some tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, teacher, what are we to do? And he told them, collect no more than the fixed amount you have been ordered to collect. Some soldiers asked him, and what about us? What are we to do? And he replied to them, do not extort money from anyone or harass or blackmail anyone and be satisfied with your wages. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is answering them. Those who who kept asking tax collectors, uh, soldiers, who else? And and a man. We're asking, okay, give us some examples of what repentance look like in a life of a person who has repented. And glory be to God, John the Baptist gave us examples of what a repentant life looks like. Tax collectors, stop it. 
stop your madness, stop extorting uh, money from people, stop harassing them, stop blackmailing them to get more money out of them and be satisfied with your paycheck. The amount you get is sufficient. You ain't got to rape, rob, and fleece the people, blackmail them, harass them, and extort them to get more money. That's what you need to do, tax collector. Stop stealing and live holy and godly and in contentment. Who else? Yeah. No, no, no. No, that was for the soldiers. The tax collector, he told them, collect no more than the fixed amount that you have been ordered to collect. So he's telling people, stop sinning. Whatever field, whatever industry you are in, Whatever walk of life that you are in, stop sinning. Do the right thing. Because least we forget, beloved, all that we do is being recorded in heaven. Look at Revelation 20, verse 12. John, the apostle, he was saying about this vision. He had been given, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Amen. Yeah. According, yeah, according to their works. So John the Baptist is showing us what a repentive life looks like. It looks like a life of no more, no more deliberately, habitually, blatantly, knowingly continue to sin that all goes out the window and we are now instructed by example to do what is right in the sight of God be happy with how much you make you don't have to steal from your job you don't have to extort anyone you don't have to blackmail anyone you don't have to rob anyone Whatever title you hold on the job, do that. Don't do anything that is wicked, evil, and vile against the people and the company. John is telling us, live right. Live holy. Because, beloved, I'm going to read from my notes I wrote because I was reflecting on my own life 
and what a repentive life is truly all about. And just to keep this on an even keel, this is not about self-righteousness. This ain't about, well, I'm doing everything right and you ain't doing nothing right. No, this is sharing with you based on the word of God, because John was right. The Lord Jesus Christ is right. The uh, teachings of the apostles is right. That if we continue to sow to the flesh, from the flesh, we shall reap eternal destruction. And you know what eternal destruction looks like? Well, let's come back over here real quick to Revelation 20. Let's now take a look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. That's what eternal destruction looks like. The smoke of your torment will rise day and night and there will be no relief because in that lake of fire will be Satan, his antichrist and the false prophet, not to mention Death and hell itself will be thrown into the lake of fire right along with all of the unrepentant. Yeah, that's what the future holds for any, oops, any one of us who thinks that we can live lives however we want in the sight of holy God. And because we've made a confession for Christ, but there was no repentance in your life, there was no fruits of repentance showing up as as evidence that your mind has changed. No longer do you want to be a fornicator. No longer do you want to be an idolator, an adulterer, an effeminate male, a homosexual, lesbian, transgender. No longer do you want to be a thief. No longer do you want to be a fallen down drunkard. No longer do you want to smoke the weed and masturbate to the porn. No longer do you want to be a gossip and a slanderer and a, a busybody backstabbing backbiter. No, no longer do you want to be a liar and a murderer. No longer do you want to do anything in the sight of God that will offend him. No, no longer, no longer. So living a repentive life means living a life with a change of mind, a change of heart, and a move in the opposite direction from sin. It is living to glorify God 
bring honor and credit to Jesus' name and to live a life worthy of the kingdom. Hallelujah. And to produce fruit of your repentance means living a lifestyle that reflects that you have changed your mind about sin. You no longer live in willful, blatant, habitual, deliberate sin. It means longing to please God. No longer wanting to do those things that offend Him. It means having a renewed mindset that you are no longer part of this sinful, evil world that is influenced and ran by our enemy, Satan. Sin no longer holds an attraction for you. Therefore, sin, like I said, is no longer the big time fun for you now understand that sin will Always, 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 always lead all of us straight to the lake of fire if there be no repentance. Living a repentant life is all about living for eternity, living for immortality, keeping one's eyes and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says was the propitiation for our sins. His atoning sacrifice held back the wrath of God, which was headed toward us. That's why it will always be about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Yes, it will. Always, always, without question, living a repentive life is where keeping focus, okay, keeping focused that one must self-evaluate. Oh, beloved, Holy Spirit cannot express this point enough. There must be self-evaluation in our lives on a daily, consistent, persistent basis. You are persistent in doing good. Your life does not consist of the sum total of wickedness. Not any longer. You are not focused on self. You're not focused on your selfish ambitions. You seek to help others in their time of need. You love fellowshipping with the brethren. But most of all, living a repentant life means loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Living a repentant life is joyful, beloved, where 
Whereas you enjoy the kingdom of God in you, peace, joy, righteousness, and the Holy Ghost. It is, it is truly about walking in the newness of life. It is all about the new birth. No longer do you sow seeds of unrighteousness, but of righteousness. No longer wanting to make provision for the flesh. It is now all about keeping your body under subjection, lest you become a castaway. It is all about preaching the good news to those who are lost and dying in this sinful world. And not only that, but helping the Lord Jesus Christ in his harvest. Yes, beloved, we all have a ministry. It is called, like the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation. We are to tell folk about this good news. A Savior has come. He lived, he died, and on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. There is no other name but Jesus Christ by which a man or woman can be saved. Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit. He said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, and he means no one, comes to the Father except by him. Without Jesus Christ, there will be no kingdom of God for anyone. No. And if you don't believe that, Well, Jesus says all unbelievers will have their place in the lake of fire. Study Revelation 21, 8. Because only the faithful who by adhering faithfully to Jesus Christ throughout their stay on the earth, these are they who will inherit eternal life and the kingdom. Yeah, but Jesus says outside are the dogs, the ungodly ones. Their fate will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. Yeah, we. it's all about Christ and his harvest. Because there are few laborers. Even in the 21st century, Jesus has not declared a new word to say that he has all the laborers he needs. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel can now stop. No. The harvest is... The harvest is plentiful. It's workers. Workers that are in demand from heaven. 
And you can't be a laborer if you too are still in sin, claiming the name. It's no wonder I have heard it with my own ears that professing Christians cannot, according to them, according to them, they have no right to tell others about their sins because they still are doing wrong. What? You're not supposed to be still doing wrong. Well, because you see, I'm I'm no one to judge. I, I, I still got a log in my eye. I can't go for anybody's speck. And you see, that's the problem. That's why Jesus is saying the laborers are few. Because most professing Christians, I had to think about that. Most professing Christians are not living clean and holy. And therefore, when something needs to be said about sin that is taking place in their presence, they can't speak on it because of a guilty heart and conscience. Folks are smoking weed right in their face. Sorcery. That's a work of the flesh. You go to hell if you don't repent and stop it. But because they smoke cigarettes, they have no, according to them, they, they feel they don't have a right to tell anybody about how they are living if in fact, because they are not living clean. Well, then that's a problem. People are going straight to a burning hell right before your eyes. And because you refuse to put down some cigarettes, that is destroying the temple of God. You rather have them go straight to a burning hell so that your your conscience is clear because I don't want to be self-righteous. I'm over here. I'm I'm doing dirt. So how how can I say anything about somebody else? Again, that's the problem. We supposed to in full confidence coming in the name of Jesus Christ. To be bold enough and courageous enough, even with knees knocking, to tell anybody, especially if Holy Spirit is prompting you to say a word and you don't because of your own personal sin, you don't feel you have a right to say anything about someone else because you don't, after all, I'm still smoking these cigarettes. Well, stop smoking the cigarettes. Stop watching the porn. Stop masturbating. Stop lying. Stop killing so that when Holy Spirit needs a vessel to speak a word that has the potential to save a dying soul, he can use you. He, he can use me to, to pull as many sticks from the fire. But if all your response is, well, whom, whom am I to, to tell anybody about sin? Listen, the Lord is still working on me. Well, 
Is he really, though, because you're still smoking them cigarettes? Mm -mm. We are supposed to live repentive lives. It is all about recovery for Jesus. Recovery of the lost and waking up our sleeping brethren who are lukewarm and on the brink themselves of hell's fire because they refuse to come off that broad, wide road that leads to destruction. Living a repentant life is a life of honoring God with that body. It is all about being settled down in your spirit where Holy Spirit can consecrate and sanctify you, making you holy and obedient to Jesus Christ so that your path to eternal life will not be hindered by the works of the flesh. It is a good clean, wholesome, respectful life in Christ Jesus. It is really, it really is a good life, beloved. Even when problems and situations arise, we know from where our help comes from. So we fret not. We know who, who, our Lord and Savior is. And guess what? We can go to him in a time of need and receive the grace to get us through any situation. But that won't be possible. It won't be possible if you and I are still living in open, deliberate, habitual, practicing sin. The last thing you will want to do is to go to God for help when you have a guilty conscience. Beloved, do you not know how hard it is to seek God in prayer when the left side of your brain is still talking about that masturbation session you had a few hours ago? And now here he, you go wanting to come to God and prayer about something. It's the hardest thing ever. Because of your own sin, you feel ill-equipped to get the speck out of your brother's eye because of the log jam in yours. In closing, beloved... Living a repentant life is truly about your love for Jesus Christ. Because he says, if you really love me, you will obey and keep my commandments. And that is true. You are attached to the vine and he has final say it is truly about setting your mind on doing good in the sight of God. It is, it is about 
a willingness to put away all sin and not walk in such a way that is not pleasing to the Father. Because remember, all that we do is being recorded in heaven. Living a, living a repentant life, you are keenly aware of God. You are keenly aware of what Christ has done for us, how he suffered to become the propitiation for our sins. Yeah. Faith in Jesus Christ, we become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, we ain't looking to get ourselves trapped and enslaved by sin all over again. We ain't doing it. For with this renewed mind about the reality of eternity, we know for sure that holy, righteous, faithful, gracious God is not playing with that lake of fire and he plays no favorites. Both the Jew and the Greek will face his wrath if there be no repentance, meaning if there be no changing of your old way of thinking, turning from your sinful ways and living change lives like the living Christ said in Luke 13, 3 and in verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn, turn, turn from your sinful ways and live, and live, and live changed lives, you will all likewise perish. Amen. Beloved, before I let you go, right? Y'all want to read something that is so sobering and frightening at the same time in the same chapter Luke 13, listen to what the Lord was preaching and teaching in the villages. Verse 22, Luke 13. Jesus journeyed on through cities and villages, teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? from the penalties of the last judgment. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. See, beloved, if you want to know about will only a few be saved when Christ returns in flame and fire to uh, take vengeance on them, who know not God and who obey not the gospel? Well, according to 2 Thessalonians 1 9, they 
what it says here, they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. You want to know how to avoid that judgment? Well, Jesus, glory to his name, is telling us in verse 24 of Luke 13, what all must be done in order to avoid his soon to come righteous judgment. He said, in order to be saved, right, to avoid judgment, strive to enter through the narrow door, force aside unbelief and the attractions of sin. For many, I tell you, will try to enter by their own works and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and closes the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door again and again saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you are from, for you are not of my household. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, verse 27, Luke 13, I do not know where you are from. Beloved, what does this sound like to you? Exactly what he was saying over there in Mark chapter 7. With all of this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, done mighty works in your name? And just like he's telling them over here in Luke 13, he was telling them over there in Matthew 7, I do not know you, you workers of iniquity, depart from me. I keep telling you all, the Holy Spirit gave me this inspired thought. The Christ is not confused about his word, about his teachings, about his commandments. He said what he said, and he means what he say. Unless you repent, you too will all likewise perish. And he means that, beloved. Listen, thus saith the Lord, he will not mourn over the wicked. He does not sympathize with the unrighteous, thus saith the Lord. No, he does not. Unless you repent, you're gonna perish. That's why he sends out his prophets and prophetess, messengers of righteousness to warn the people. Jesus is on his way back. And when he comes, he will have his reward with him to give to every last single person according to what their deeds. According to how it says over here, 
Jeremiah 17, uh, 10, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Same thing, John, over here, Revelation 20, verse 12, where it says here, uh uh uh-huh, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according, according to what? Their works, their doings, according to their ways. Jesus says we will be paid with what we have done, whether those things have been good or evil. We will receive a reward one way or the other, based on how we lived. Yeah. But you see, for followers, true sheep of Jesus Christ, we will not be judged for sin. Because glory be to God, he has taken care of what was needed at the cross in order for us to be saved. That's why he commands us to live a life of holiness and righteousness and don't go back to sin. Don't go back to your vomit. Otherwise, 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 you too claiming my name, talking about Lord, Lord. Okay, I got your Lord, Lord. I don't know you. You're gonna perish. It don't matter what church you go to. It don't matter who your bishop is. It don't matter how many times you read the Bible. It don't matter if you have memorized from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 straight to Revelation to the last jot and tittle of the holy book. Unless you and I live lives that demonstrate and produce fruit of repentance with persistence in doing good, we're gonna perish. And you can scream and shout until you are blue in the face talking about once saved, always saved. I said the sinner's prayer. I have eternal life. That's legalism. We don't have to do that. All we got to do is just believe. Just believe. We have God's grace. It it covers us. Yeah. Yeah but you're still living like a hell again. You mean tell me that grace is going to turn a blind eye? All because you said some unbiblical, and who told us to even think that a prayer can save us? Because if you want to talk about works, well, a sinner's prayer is a work unto salvation. That's a work unto salvation. Well, I believe in my heart. Well, that's a work. I I said with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's a work. You, you have done something to earn your salvation. That's a work. If you want to talk about works, that's the epitome of a work to be saved. 
We know there's nothing, nothing we could have done. Otherwise, we can boast about it and look at your boasting. I said the sinner's prayer. Oh, I'm saved. Why? Because I said the sinner's prayer. Beloved, if we do not get into this word for ourselves, and really sit at the feet of Jesus with his Holy Spirit and learn sound doctrine, all of us are going to be shell-shocked when we drop the bodysuit standing before Jesus to hear what he says over here in Luke 13. Let's see. Yeah, verse, verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up, Mm-hmm. and closes the door, yeah. And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door again and again, saying, Lord, look, look, Lord, uh-huh, open up. You know what? You know what, beloved? The Christ is completely justified when he said, why call me Lord and you don't obey? And here these folks are just knowing that that they were going to get in. Look, they calling him Lord. So this is one who claimed his name. Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you are from. For you are not of my household. Then you will begin to say, look, here we go. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not? Na, 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 na. So over here, you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evil doers. In that place, what place? Hmm, the lake of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth in distress and anger. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out and driven away. And people will come from east and west and from north and south, and they will sit down and feast at the table in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came, some Pharisees came up and said to him, Leave and go away from here, because Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, that sly, cowardly man, listen carefully. 
I cast out demons and perform healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must travel on today and tomorrow and the, and the, and the day after that. For it cannot be that a prophet would die outside of Jerusalem. Amen. I love Jesus. I love him. He's telling these Pharisees, you go tell Herod, that fox. You ain't got to worry about killing me. Okay? Because I'm on a mission. I got a few more days. And don't worry, that pretty little head of yours, I'll be out your hair. Because I got something to do. I'm going to. I must go to Jerusalem. Ain't no prophet ever died outside of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem kills her prophets. Right? He was, he was foretelling them about his upcoming crucifixion. So he said, on the third day, I reach my goal, which is what? Hmm, resurrection. That's the goal. Oh, bless your name, Lord Jesus. He's telling us what the goal is, resurrection. Oh, beloved, I pray you all caught that too. Nevertheless, I must travel on today and tomorrow and the day after that, for it cannot be that a prophet would die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones to death. Those messengers who are sent to her by God. The Lord is lamenting how often. I have wanted to gather your children together around me just as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you were not willing. Listen carefully. Your house is left to desolate. Your house is left to you desolate, abandoned by God and destitute of his protection. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed to be celebrated with praise is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Beloved, we don't want to miss our visitation of the Lord. He comes to visit in our hearts via the Holy Spirit, but he will not reside in a heart that is unrepentant, a heart that is still stiff-necked, a heart that is still obstinate and rebellious and refuses to put away sin and glorify God with fruits of righteousness. He's not going to do it, beloved. So, as I part for the second time, I'm going to leave you with John chapter 14, 21 to 31. Beloved, take this medicine. Take it, eat it, masticate it, 
Whatever you got to do, keep it within your spirit. I don't know if time will permit, but I I, I want to read chapter 15. But I'm going to give you chapter 14, 21 to 31. Because this is how we get to know our Lord and Master in the Gospels. John 14, 21 to 31, Jesus says, The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him. Judas, not Iscariot, asked him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone really loves me, he will keep my word my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him. The one who does who does not really love me does not keep my words. Amen. He's right. I've I personally learned this from personal experience. If we are not keeping his words, we do not love Jesus. And it don't matter what comes out of these lying, hypocritical mouths. He told us the one who does not keep his word is the one who does not truly, really, honestly, faithfully love him. He says, and the word, where are we at? John 14, 24, and the word, teaching, which you hear is not mine, but is the Father's who sent me. I have told you these things while I am still with you, but the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, Counselor, strengthener, stand by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He, he will teach you all things and he will help you to remember everything I have told you. Amen. Peace. I leave with you my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my, thank you, Lord, let my perfect peace calm you. In every circumstance and give you courage and strength 
for every challenge. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you really loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am, I am going back to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does take place, you may believe and have faith in me. Verse 30, I will not speak with you much longer for the ruler of the world, Satan, is coming. And he has no claim on me, no power over me, nor anything that he can use against me. Amen. That's right, Lord. You want to know why? Christ Jesus was the only person walking in the flesh who never committed no sin. Although he was tempted, but he sinned not. Amen. That's why God has appointed him as the righteous judge. Hallelujah. Verse 31, but so that the world may know without any doubt that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me and act in full agreement with him. Get up. Let us go from here. Amen. Glory be to God. So beloved, there we have it. You all got some homework to do. You all go and and study John 15 because over there, I love it because Jesus is saying he is the vine. Followers are branches. So, beloved, there we have it. There we have it in pretty much a nutshell, okay? Every one of our lives will look differently. But the, the main thread in all of our lives is Jesus Christ. And we live in such a way, it produces gratitude for what he has done on our behalf. And so we live lives with a purpose, God's purpose, to live holy, righteous, and clean as we await the coming of our Lord. And if we address him as father, as obedient children of God, we walk in obedience, showing profound respect for his name honoring his name throughout our time in the earth. I love you. I love you. Sin no more. Understand the Christ is on his way back. Thus saith the Lord, he does not sympathize with the wicked. He will not mourn over the wicked, thus saith the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
hallowed be thy thy righteous, holy, good, and perfect name. Father, we know from John 15, verse 2, that every branch in Jesus that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You take it away. As the vine dresser, every branch in Jesus that does not bear fruit, you take away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, you repeatedly prune so that it will bear more fruit, even even richer and finer fruit. That's why, Father, Jesus says to remain in me and I will remain in you just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, producing evidence of your faith unless you remain in me. Oh, Father. So much, so much can be said about abiding in Christ Jesus. Without him, we cannot, it's not possible to live a life of righteousness. Holy Spirit is not dwelling in the one who continues, irregardless of what you have said, what the consequence of sin is, and yet they still live wickedly with no remorse, with no repentance, and with no putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Is that person even born again, Father? Only you know the heart that has been truly regenerated. All we can do is look at the fruit. It's not that we are sitting in the seat of self-righteousness and condemnation. You told us to test every spirit to see if they are from God. And as a loving brother or sister in Christ, if we know of another brother or sister in Christ is going the wrong way, may we stand up in brotherly love and say, you're going the wrong way. That lifestyle offends God. And if you don't repent, and if you don't come out of it, you're going to perish. We come with sincerity of heart and love. We don't want to see anyone perish. Where is the fear of the Lord among his children? We ought to fear you, Father. We know you are love. We just read in the scripture, you are compassionate, gracious, long-suffering, faithfully loving on us 
but you are not going to tolerate disrespect nor <clears throat> nor rebellion rebellion you will discipline us chastise us send prophet after prophet messenger after messenger with correction and if the individual still is obstinate and stiff-necked they are borderline reprobates we don't we don't ever want to get to a point father where you turn us over to our lust and take your hand away from us oh father may that not be counted among your obedient children thank you for salvation thank you for the gift of repentance faith and grace thank you for your love thank you for sending jesus thank you for holy spirit thank you for justification sanctification and glorification i give you honor today father i lift up your name glory be to the most high god who sent the world a savior he had a plan from the foundation of the world you had a plan father and that if anyone believes and comes with sincere repentance we may receive the free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and live good lives holy lives righteous lives being being sanctified cleaned and gutted out so that the world in us can be rooted out so that our love and focus everything within us will be for you father nothing of the world should be in us when we drop this body suit thank you for your for your long suffering i give you glory and honor in my life in jesus mighty name i pray glory be to god amen all right beloved repent and believe stop sinning and turn back to god be not deceived god won't be mocked if we continue to sow to the flesh from the flesh we shall reap eternal destruction but if we sow to the spirit from the spirit we shall reap eternal life glory hallelujah and lord willing beloved i shall be speaking to you soon praise the living god bye for now thank you guys for tuning in i truly appreciate all your support until next time i'll be talking to y'all soon bye